0: Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled The Man of the House, takes us back to my 12th year, when my best friend Larry Jennings and I decide to spend our summer building a tree fort. When the DIY construction It's deemed an eyesore by the neighborhood adults. Our summer fun ends in disaster and foreshadows much bigger disasters on the horizon. The Man of the House Row, row, row your boat I'm 12 years old and in the backyard of my parents' house at 3 Bonnie Bray in Utica, New York. I'm standing with my best friend Larry Jennings, At the back corner of the steeply sloping yard is a large triple-trunk black cherry tree. Each trunk forks at about 15 feet off the ground, which we decide makes a perfect place to build a tree fort and agree to spend the summer doing just that. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. As we start to build our tree fort, unbeknownst to the two of us, on the other side of the world, the Viet Cong start to organize into military units to fight the Army of South Vietnam, which is being advised by the U.S. military. We spend the first couple of weeks collecting materials. By July, we have three logs and all sorts of found wood, which we garbage-picked from neighborhood trash cans, demolition sites, and vacant lots. Next, we nail to the tree a series of warped and cracked two-by-four cutoffs to create a makeshift ladder to get to where our fort will be built. The problem is, with our primitive carpentry skills, used wood, and old rusty nails, our rungs are not very securely placed. The tree itself has a dense canopy, so little sunlight penetrates to the ground directly below, which is a steeply sloping field of stones and gravel. A fall from 15 feet could be fatal. One of the rungs pulls off right away, so we make a rule that we have to have each hand on a different rung when we climb the ladder in case one lets go. Using my dad's extension ladder, we now crisscross the logs between the three forks of the tree, then we build the floor on this triangular platform. Our ladder steps keep failing, so we spring for some big new 20D common nails, but hammering them in is difficult, so we're still left with ladder rungs that each feature a number of bent-over nails but we hope for the best. Next, we erect the walls of plywood scrap, and with the addition of a roof and a makeshift railing around the top deck, we have ourselves a true two-story treehouse. It's almost the end of July, and we are both extremely proud of what we have accomplished. At the same time, the word Vietnam has entered our vocabulary. One of Larry's older cousins, who is stationed there, has come for a visit, and regales us with stories of the ragtag soldiers of the Viet Cong who have just captured the Michelin rubber plantation north of Saigon. He's been advising the Army of South Vietnam and seems to have more respect for the Viet Cong insurgency than he does for the men he is training. As we look at our fort, with all sorts of mismatched boards, we decide we need to jazz it up somehow. Luckily, at the top of Bonnie Bray there's a good-sized pothole, and cars that fail to avoid it often lose a hubcap in the deep grass by the side of the road. Every day Larry and I add to our hubcap collection. Mind you, we have high standards. Only metal caps, no plastic and no damaged hubs. As they are nailed to the fort walls, all these different metal discs nicely unify our design. One day as I climb up the ladder again to add a few more hubs, another rung lets go, and I fall a few feet to the ground but only suffer some minor cuts and scratches. We finish off our glorious structure with two final additions, a skull and crossbones flag flying on a flagpole above and a no girls allowed sign nailed to the trunk by the ladder below. Once complete, we unearth our collection of dirty magazines buried in a plastic bag in a nearby field and move them to a dry wooden crate inside the fort. Then we painstakingly peel apart the best of all the damp, moldy pictures and dry them on the roof of the fort. The jewel of our collection is a series of nude photos of Marilyn Monroe from Playboy magazine. Autumn comes and our beautiful structure that was all but invisible within the thick summer foliage can now be seen from the surrounding houses. For me, it is a thing of beauty unveiled, but for the neighbors, an ugly eyesore It just takes a couple calls from the man of the house of each neighbor for my father to issue an edict. The tree fort has to come down. I think to myself, No way! We worked on it for three months! But I keep my mouth shut and leave in a huff. The next day Larry isn't around, so I take it upon myself to go around the block and knock on the front door of the house directly behind ours. The woman who opens the door I'd seen before in her flower garden behind our fort. She invites me in and offers me cookies and a glass of milk, which I decline. Ma'am, I'm one of the kids who built the fort behind your garage, and I guess you complained to my father, and now he's ordered me to take it down. We worked on it almost every day for the whole summer. What if I took off the hubcaps and painted it? She responds, Actually, it was my husband who called your father. I'm sorry that you have to take it down. Maybe painting it would appease him in some way. I continue, We could paint it the same dark gray as your garage roof, which is directly behind. She says, that's a nice idea, then continues, but instead of asking him now and having him say no, why don't you paint it first and then I can bring it up to him that you tried to fix the problem. She smiles sweetly and asks again about cookies and milk, and now I accept. It doesn't seem like I'm taking a gift from the enemy anymore. Larry and I then remove all the hubcaps and paint the entire structure to match the color of the roof of their garage. When my father looks out the back window and sees what we have done, he asks sharply, why would you paint your fort when you know it has to come down? Because it doesn't have to come down. I made a deal with a woman who owns the house behind us. He responds angrily, well, we'll see about that because it was her husband who called. No, she's going to handle him. I say with a smirk. He shoots back. You think you're a little smartass, don't you? Well, what about their next-door neighbor? I received a call from the man of the house in both instances. I walk away disappointed. Now my plan to save my tree fort has another snag. Meanwhile, I read in the Utica Observer Dispatch, the newspaper that I deliver on my paper route every day, that Mao Zedong, the leader of China, introduces his noose strategy, declaring that each new commitment of U.S. troops to Vietnam will become a hangman's noose around America's neck. The next day I knock on the front door of the other house, but unfortunately, no one is home. However, that evening, calls come in from the neighbors again, that cut off my plans permanently. The first call comes from the house behind ours, with the man of the house again requesting that the tree fort be taken down. The second comes from the other house behind us, where the man also insists upon its removal. Take it down tomorrow, my father orders. I am so crestfallen and disappointed that I don't even bother to call up Larry. I had to talk him into painting the fort to begin with against his will, so I certainly can't ask him to help demolish our newly painted fort. It is near dusk on a dark, depressing weekday in September when I climb the tree ladder for the last time, teary-eyed with a cross-cut saw in hand. Amazingly, the ladder is held out for the whole summer with no major mishap. My basic plan is suicidal. Just cut the three support beams with me inside and go down with my ship. The deeper I cut, the harder I cry. It only takes cutting through one end of one beam for the whole edifice to tip sideways and then go crashing to the ground with me wailing inside. Our next-door neighbor, an old-school GP named Dr. Panzone, is just coming home from a house call when he hears the collapse. He hurries over with his medical bag in hand, pries aside some planking, and pulls me out of the rubble. I seem completely unscathed, though I am still crying, not from pain or injury, but from a broken heart. Are you okay, son? Yeah, I answered, struggling not to cry. He examines me all over, pushing here and prodding there, then declares that I am in perfect condition. Do you have any idea how lucky you are? I respond with a half-hearted shrug and wipe away the last of my tears. The next day, my father orders me to clean up the mess. But as a silent protest, I leave the wreckage of my fort to linger in our backyard for a week. When I finally begin the cleanup, using a claw hammer to pry nails out of a pile of 2x4s and plywood, I'm suddenly brought to a standstill. Looking at the daunting pile of debris, I ask myself, Okay, what have I learned? You can't trust your parents. You can't trust your neighbors. And basically, you can't trust adults. I hope that when I become one of them, I won't treat kids the way they've treated me. And I end my introspective moment with, yeah, right, cookies and milk. In my 18th year, six years after the demise of our tree fort, I relearned this same lesson, but the stakes are much higher now. America has sent a half a million young men to Vietnam, most of them against their will, and Larry is one of them. It is autumn again, and I am away at college, which helps me to avoid the draft, when I receive the heartbreaking news that Larry is dead. He's become one of the 58,220 young men who've been sent to their graves by the real men of the house, men with names like Jack Kennedy, Henry Kissinger, Robert McNamara, and Lyndon Johnson, men I've hated ever since. When I'm back in Utica, I walk up the block to Larry's house, where his mom greets me at the door with a warm but tearful hug. She proudly takes the triangularly folded American flag that the Defense Department has sent to the family from its place of honor at the center of their mantelpiece. With tears streaming down my face, I hold it close, not out of respect for the flag, but for the memory of my childhood with my best friend, Larry Jennings. The Compulsive Storyteller is written by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kakoma, who has also composed this week's music and made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, And check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story.